I get to um, tell you once again, good morning. It is so good to um, be with you all this morning, to be able to worship together. I'm so glad to uh, see you, and um, I was out last week, but uh, I was here, but I, I didn't get to preach last week. So thankful for uh, uh, Brother Kent and uh, Pat, who preached last week, and Kent welcoming us this morning. So grateful for the team uh, that we have here, um, and for Eric for uh, leading out um, and just leading us to the throne so faithfully. We're so grateful. Uh, we really are blessed um, as a church family. Um, we are going to return back to our study of Hebrews. If you've been out for the last couple of weeks, um, or perhaps uh, we've, have, you've, I say you've been out. I've, we haven't been preaching through this through the last couple of weeks. I'm going to get it going here in just a moment. So uh, uh, you'll just kind of catch up with me when I get there. Um, but uh, through that, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 5, the end of chapter 5 is where we are going to be looking at, picking up in verse 11. Um, and we just sang words of a song that said, all the earth will shout your praise. And as we sing that song, we obviously sing that song with joy in our hearts, knowing that the God that we worship is the one true God, and that one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow at Jesus's name. Now, all the world will Shout your praise. But what sometimes we forget when we sing those words and the joy of that worship and understanding who we are worshiping is that we forget that the means to that end, the means through which God will accomplish all the world singing the praises to Jesus is through his church, through us. And that we have a purpose, that each and every one of our lives matter in the kingdom of God and within the mission of God to what he is accomplishing. And we have been invited into what God is doing. And I don't know, sometimes that might cause you to, and rightfully so, it might cause you to um, feel a degree of like, whoa, I am involved in what God is accomplishing on the earth. And there is a weightiness to that. It's serious. It's something that we should consider heavily. But here's the good news. God will accomplish it through you. It's up to him. And he is the one who accomplishes everything. He is the one who, as Kent said, is the most sovereign <laughs> over all things. And so we can trust him in that. And so what I hope that does is it brings us joy to consider that God has chosen to use us and that we get to be a part of that. But as we get to be a part of that, that also means that, yes, we need to consider our role in that. We're going to look closely at that as we get to the end of Hebrews chapter 5 this morning. Because it has been a couple of weeks, and I know we have some guests with us. By the way, if you're a guest, I would love an opportunity to meet you. I'll be down front at the end of the service. I'd love to just say hello and to talk with you, uh, to answer any questions you have about our church, um, or just to pray with you and just encourage you in any way that I can. But um, because it's been a couple of weeks, at the beginning of chapter 5, the author of the Hebrew letter, the letter to the Hebrews, is telling us about this role of Jesus called his high priesthood, the priesthood of Christ. And this is something that um, is a continuation, in a sense, of his argument. And just as a reminder, this letter is written to Christians. More than likely, it is believed by most scholars, Christians living in Rome, Jewish Christians living in Rome. And so these are small house churches. This letter would have been received and then probably distributed amongst a bunch of house churches of people who are being persecuted by their government, by everyone around them. 
dealing with a great deal of trial and tribulation. And so the author of Hebrews, God inspires to write this letter to them, to encourage them and to strengthen them. And the way that he begins to do that through this first five chapters of the book has been to elevate Jesus and to remind them of the bigness of Jesus. And you might remember if you were with us in the very first week of this message series, we talked about that we want Jesus, Jesus must be big in our lives. And we know that Jesus is big. That's just a matter of fact. That's just truth that he is big. He is all-powerful, omniscient, all of the things about God that we know about him. But in our hearts, in our minds, is Jesus big? Does he reside in a place where his bigness overwhelms all of the other things? Well, that's what the author of Hebrews wanted to do for these believers by saying, hey, We've had our prophets, again, these are Jewish Christians, so they were raised with a great training in the word, and so they knew all of the Old Testament very well. They understood the teaching of the prophets. They had heard about angels. They understood all the things that they did. All of the great people of God, and those, those people, and people and beings that have been used by God throughout history, they understood what they had done, and they understood how powerful they were. And the author of Hebrews says, yeah, you know all of that, but remember that Jesus is the greatest of them all. Jesus is the God-man. And at the the beginning of chapter 5, he turns to this office of the high priesthood of Christ. There's two things that are important for us to know as we continue looking at the next sort of argument that this author is making for us. God's word is teaching us. There's two things that we should know as a result of understanding Jesus' role as our great high priest. The first is, is that we have a high priest who is familiar with our weakness. I can't know what each and every one of you are facing. I can't possibly know the challenges, the trials, the things that kept you up last night. It's not possible for me to know. I'd love it if you want to come forward and talk to me about it at the end of the service. Then we can pray about it. But in this moment, I can't know that. And I also, even as we pray together, I might not know the solution to that challenge. I might not know how to help lead you through that. But we have a high priest who is aware of every single one of your trials, every single one of the things that you are facing, every one of those burdens, our high priest Jesus is aware. Sometimes you might have said to your friends before, I don't know if you said this before, but it would be uh, an odd thing to say. It's kind of a vernacular, a way of saying, it's like, yeah, you wouldn't understand. You haven't worked in this environment. You haven't dealt with that person. You haven't been in this situation. You know, we tell our friends as we're kind of describing the trials and tribulations that we're walking through, hey, I'm trying to tell you this, but nah, you just wouldn't understand it. You ever said that before? You can't say that to Jesus. You know why you can't? Because he does understand. There's nothing that you are facing that he is not intimately aware of and familiar with, and he knows it. He knows it well, and he very much understands. This is what it means when we, have, we say we have a high priest, a priest that we can turn to, who is familiar with every one of our troubles. He walked this earth. He was God, is God, and yet in his humility, Philippians chapter 2, came down and lived among us like us, took on flesh in all of the humility that comes with this flesh. He is familiar. That is something that is So hopeful to me to know that I have a high priest who's not distant, who isn't unaware, who doesn't sit sort of far away, but is very much with me. The second thing that that teaches us, that we have this high priest that is familiar with our needs, familiar with our trials, and very much understands those things, is that he made the final sacrifice for sin. 
as high priest, he made the final sacrifice for sin. Chapter five explains this, that the priests of the Old Testament would once a year go into the temple, they would make sacrifice on behalf of the people, atoning for the sins of the people, and they would do this over and over and over again. But what it describes Jesus as our high priest, it says that he was the high priest who went and once and for all made final sacrifice for sin, and after making sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. There's a few things that that teaches us. The first is, every single trial, tribulation, problem you're facing, it may be your own or it may be someone else's, and that's, it's both of those things often. Those sins, yours and those that are hurting you or causing you harm or in some way just giving you frustration or pain, were paid for by Jesus, our high priest. He atoned for them. We also know that that atonement was satisfactory to God. Where God and man had been separated by sin, Jesus mediated that sinfulness and that brokenness and bridged that gap in such a way that God accepted his final once and for all sacrifice. And we know that because he let him sit down. No more would the priests make sacrifice for sin. And so what does that mean for you and for me? This is a great reminder that not only, once again, here's something you can't do. You can't tell Jesus he doesn't understand. You also cannot, will not, and are not called to or able to atone for your own sins, but they were fully paid for by Jesus himself, our great high priest. He's not only the high priest that ushered in the sacrifice, but he himself was the sacrifice for sin. And so in that, we have a high priest who's familiar with our sinfulness, familiar with the results of that sinfulness, and because he's so familiar and out of his great love for you, he then went and made sacrifice, final sacrifice for that, so that you don't have to keep trying to atone for your sinfulness, but you can repent and believe in the finished work of Jesus and enjoy everlasting and abundant life, as Brother Pat talked about last week. That's what our great high priest Jesus did for us. And as the author of the letter to the Hebrews gets to the end of that section, in verse 10, he's talking about Jesus, or I'll back up to verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. He is the source of salvation for all who would obey him, and his obedience, what he called for is repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Confess your sins to God. Believe that Jesus paid for those sins and be entered in, ushered into your salvation. And then being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And here and here in verse 11, so he says all of that about Jesus and then in verse 11, he pauses. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So he's just described all that Jesus is in his office of high priest. He's then alluded to this idea that Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. And even now, some of us in this room are like, okay, that's weird. I need some help on that. We're going to get to that in chapter 7. Don't worry. That's coming. But he, the, the author of Hebrews says, I need to pause right here. I'd love to tell you more about this Jesus and about his office of the priesthood and this being after the order of Melchizedek and all that this means. But he says, this is hard to explain. And it's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. Essentially, he says, I have a lot to tell you. You ain't ready. You're just not ready to hear it. Now, here's what this means. This doesn't mean that they were dull of hearing sort of 
in their ability, like they didn't possess the ability to hear this explanation. That's not what he said there. He says that you have become dull of hearing. It's something they had sort of moved into. The fact that they had become gives us a clue of their spiritual state. They had sort of gotten to a place in their life, in their faith, in their walk with Christ, and then they had stagnated. And now they found themselves in a situation where they were dull of hearing. This wasn't that the material was too hard. It wasn't that they couldn't understand it ever. It's that in this moment, in their walk, they were not ready to hear this. This would be the case, for example, if if you tried to talk with me about calculus. I have not become dull of hearing. I am just dull of hearing as it relates to that subject matter. That's not my area of expertise. Matt, our worship pastor, he's a math teacher, or was. So if you need to talk about calculus, he's your guy. Not me. I am just dull in that area. This was not something that they weren't able to. This issue was about attentiveness and pursuit attentiveness and pursuit. They were dull of their hearing because they had stopped focusing on God. They had stopped looking to his word. They had gotten consumed with other things. Maybe this will help you. There was a time in my life, not too long ago, but enough time ago, where I could ride my bicycle 100 miles in under five hours. Now, that's not Olympic status, so don't get too excited about that. I'm not worthy of any praise for that. But at an amateur level, that's, that's pretty good. That's, that's 20 miles an hour for five hours on a bicycle, all right? That's pretty substantial. I can't do that anymore. I have become dull in my abilities to ride a bicycle that fast for that long. Otherwise translated, I've become heavy and slow. I have become that. Now, there was a time because of pursuit and attentiveness and diet and all sorts of other things that I had capacity that does not exist in this very moment. I'll keep you posted at the end of August. I'm doing it again. I'll tell you how fast I go. All right, I'll just go and put that out there. Somebody can hold me accountable. But I've become that. And they had, because of lack of attentiveness, lack of pursuit, lack of desire, they had dulled and they weren't able to understand what he was going to teach them. This should, in some way, be convicting to us. This is a heavy message to us. We have this great high priest who is atoned for our sins. We've heard that Jesus should be big and is big, and worthy of our lives. And where does he reside? In all of the things of our life, where is the pursuit of him? And as he warns the church about their spiritual condition in this moment and tells them, I'd love to tell you more, but I can't in this moment, he gets specific as to where they're at. For though by this time, verse 12, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
See, he tells us that there was a point of conversion clearly in their past. And in this season from the time where they repented and believed and put their faith in Christ, that they had stalled out and they had not progressed. And ultimately, he uses this illustration of the infant on milk and solid foods and that progression of growth and maturing that leads to that. He uses this illustration. You know, when our babies were born, I've got three sons, and it's been a very long time, but when they were little, they only drank milk. That's all they consumed. I don't know, most parents, I think, I think that's still the program, right? You, you know, <laughs> they drink milk. That's what they drink. And it's right, by the way, that they only consume milk because that milk is designed to give them nourishment and to strengthen them and to mature them and to allow them to grow. And after a season of time, I remember we sort of started progressing on and we used this stuff, uh, rice cereal. Is that still a thing? Okay, and so I'd get this little tiny pink bowl, green bowl. They're always bright and colorful. I'd put the rice cereal by specific measurement, add the milk in by specific measurement, stir that to the perfect consistency, put it in my son's mouth so he could then spit it right back out at me. But this was what he was doing. This was on purpose. This was a progression of growing. And then he moved on to other foods that were terrible and just continue that until (laughs) now, as a grown, adult, mature man, he can eat solid food. They drank milk. And they hadn't matured beyond that. Now, I want you to imagine a full-grown boy or girl who only consumes milk. There's a couple problems there. One, that just doesn't work. You're not going to grow and mature and be strengthened. Your body, physically, it needs a lot more than that. It needs more nutrients than that. And so we have to give solid food. We have to move on from that. So it's not possible that I could point you to a full-grown man that only consumes milk. No, he'd have to grow because, or he'd have to consume more so that he could grow and mature. And if there was someone that only consumed milk, they wouldn't mature and grow as they should. As we think of that in the spiritual lens that God's word is applying it to, there's not growth, there's not maturing, they're not able to hear, they have become dull of hearing because they haven't moved on and grown and matured from, as it says, the basic principles of the oracles of God. And what that simply means is just the foundational elements of our faith, those foundations, the reality is we cannot grow older and progress as we should, as we've moved on from that moment in time where we were given salvation as we believed on Jesus' name and we haven't grown spiritually. This should cause us great concern. And why is it that the author here, why is he so concerned about this? Again, he wants to explain more. Why is it that he's so concerned about this? It's because Christians... The church is called to proclaim and to teach righteousness to others. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that is not translated as preachers or in various ways. This this is just simply meaning what you know, what you have been taught about the faith, you should be able to teach 
and pass that on to others. And there's a purpose in that is that they would be able to teach and pass that on to others so that, as it says in verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So the counter of that would be true so that we would be skilled in the word of righteousness, be able to have the skills to tell the world about what Jesus has done and what God is doing. That's what we are called to do as the church. And so he's concerned because he looks around and he sees the church being challenged, being persecuted, isolated in these house churches, and because of all that they're facing and because of their spiritual immaturity, they aren't progressing and they are not making an impact in this very broken and hostile world. And the same is true for us. Now, one word of caution. He describes these basic principles, the oracles of God, and a little bit further, in the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1, he says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, and he's talking about these foundational elements. We don't ever outgrow the gospel. We don't mature beyond that. The gospel is the foundation of our faith. The gospel is what tells us and informs us that we have, by God's grace and mercy, been declared as righteous. And that that has been imputed to us. And even that word, that might be a big word for you. It means to be that, that we have put on Christ's righteousness. Like we put on a cloak or we put on a, a jacket. We put on Christ. And that has happened for us. And that's the foundation of our faith. That's the hope of the gospel that God now looks upon us, not in our sinfulness and in our brokenness, but he looks upon us as he looks at his own son, Jesus, as righteous. That is the foundation, but as we begin to engage in our world and we face all of the challenges, many of these things that they were facing, different than what we're facing, but whatever challenges we face as we engage in the culture, we engage in the world that is far from the Lord, we need to be able to talk about what God is doing. And yes, that starts with laying the foundation of the gospel, but then we build upon that foundation just like a builder builds a house, stone by stone, explaining and we have been given a mission, again, to proclaim the name of Christ. This is what we are called to. And so the author of Hebrews is concerned because this church was not maturing and was not maturing in such a way that they had an impact in their world. If we're going to have an impact on the world around us, we need to be equipped and prepared and trained and ready to talk about what God is doing. Starting with the foundation of the gospel and then building upon that. You know, we look around the world and we're frustrated so often by all of the brokenness that we see. Let me first encourage you as Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. So whatever we're facing today, it's not any different than something that has been faced in the past. It's just we're on this cycle of history of the world being broken and Jesus through his church, one soul, one life at a time, building his kingdom until one day he makes all things new. But we are called to engage and to speak and to love. How are we to do that if we can't talk about what God is doing. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about this last week, our Supreme Court passed a ruling advocating for life, something that Christians in the church, we celebrate that. But why do we celebrate that? Why is it important to us? 
Why does that matter? Your neighbors who disagree with you on that front, they have a reason. And we are to bring the light of Christ and the gospel message, and we need to tell them why we believe that every life is valuable, because every life is created in the image of God. And why does that matter? Because all image bearers are called and given this gift to reflect God's glory to the world around them. These are the conversations that we need to be able to have. Not just yelling, not just shouting, not, not fighting. No, but being able to tell winsomely and graciously and loving because of what God has done for me, this foundation of the gospel. Let me explain to you how big he is and why it matters and have those conversations. Can we do that with our neighbors? Are we doing that? Is Jesus that big to us that we're engaging in those conversations and thinking about strategically how to have more of those, how to open our homes more, being more hospitable, doing all the things that the church of Jesus Christ is called to do starts with a deep understanding of who he is, what God is doing, and an understanding that the things of this world are not as they should be, that the world is broken, and that our big God cares about this world and is moving in this world and has called his church to be the hands and feet in such a way that he does make all things new through us. That's what he's doing. Can we articulate it in that way? Not the same words that I said. You don't need to just get the podcast and hit play and do all that. But can you do that? Can you have those winsome conversations with friends and family who view things differently than you do, who don't look at the world through the same lens that you do? And by the way, do you know why they don't? Because they do not have the Holy Spirit of God residing in them. Those of us who do, we understand, we have been enlightened. The Lord, God's word has been illuminated for us. And so we've gotta be able to talk about that. But if all we are living on is the milk of infancy in our faith, we're not studying God's word, we're not engaged with God's word, we're not engaged deeply with his people so that we can be equipped in all of these things, we will not be able to accomplish the mission that God has given us. And that is why the author of Hebrews pauses and says, I'd love to tell you more about this. I'd love to go deeper with you but I can't because you're not ready because you have not pursued. Right now, our children over here and over there in those two rooms are being taught the elementary things of the faith. They're learning just through prayer and through little stories, just kind of beginning to understand how big God is. And then as they move to this other side of the room or the other side of the building, they begin to learn more and grow. And by the time they get in fourth and fifth grade, Kent and a few others are teaching them bigger theology, deeper things of our faith. They're maturing to that point. And then once they move on from fourth and fifth grade, they go into our student ministry. And many of those students right now are away at camp. And I can tell you that they have been equipped to do ministry in their own lives. One of the things that our student minister, Caleb, says all the time is that he's the student minister. He's not called to minister to students, but he sees his calling as ministering through students, which means he sees that as he disciples and trains up students, that they will then go and make much of Jesus in their schools and their relationships on their teams, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is happening. All of that growth and that spiritual maturity, and we care a lot about that as the church, and we care a lot about that as moms and dads, as parents, as grandparents, aunts, uncles, just mature believers. But you know what can happen? As we idolize our children sometimes too much and put them in a place that they don't belong, we're so consumed with their growing and maturing, and we forget that we also must be growing and maturing. Do you know that we get about maybe a couple hours a week with all of those kids from their various ages. 
Y'all remember I'm not good at math, but y'all have a lot more. There's some stat out there. All I know is this greater and less than, you got greater, all right? You have much greater time and influence. How are you going to make disciples with your own children and raise them up if you yourself aren't maturing? And if we think so much about all of the things that we're doing for our kids and our students and all of that, and we forget that we also must be engaged in maturing and growing so that we can continue this mission, then we're kind of missing the point. We must be growing and maturing. And why? Again, so that we can train up. In verse 14, it says solid food, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. All he's saying there is if we're going to have the spiritual discernment to understand what one is happening in the world and how we as believers are to engage in that and to bring the gospel to bear and to bring the hope of Christ to bear in that and to speak and tell you we've got to be growing and maturing. We've got to move on from the milk of our spiritual food into more solid food. And that has to be something we engage in. And so that's why he says, therefore, based on that understanding, let us do this. Let us leave these elementary doctrines of Christ and go on in maturity, not laying again, not repeating ourselves a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. No, we think about the deeper things of our faith and the implications of that gospel foundation the implications of it. Have you ever had a conversation with a family member, perhaps your child or a friend or a neighbor? You've been able to sort of discern what the challenge is that they're walking in and the challenge that they have in their life and then bring the hope of the gospel of Christ to bear in that conversation. Let me help you understand how God is at work in this and how God is moving in this. Are you engaging? Are we engaging in those? Those are the kinds of conversations that we need to have. And so he closes there. I'll close here at verse three. He says, and this we will do if God permits. This we will do if God permits. This should be like a prayer for us because one, God does permit it. He has given us this place, this community of believers to encourage and to spur one another on and all of these things. This we will do. Let it be our commitment this morning saying, yes, Lord, we will do this. We will take whatever that next step of engaging and growing and maturing, we wanna move from milk to rice cereal. Rice cereal to peas. Peas to mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes to Wagyu beef. I made a big leap there. I get it. That's what I like. The last two. That's all you need to give me. But are we moving on? Are we growing and maturing? And if not, we have lots of means for that to happen. We've got men's and women's Bible studies that will kick off in the fall. We've got marriage enrichment through our re-engage ministry. We've got fight clubs that we can help you get connected with. We've got so many things. We've got just the family of God that as we get to know one another, we can encourage and talk to one another and say, hey, I know this person, they can help you with that. We can invite people into our homes and say, hey, I just want to open the Bible. You saw you on Sunday, saw you over here. Come over to my house and let's open God's word together. You can just do that, by the way. 
I saw a great little meme. This guy, and I don't know exactly, I don't know anything about him, but he says, you know, you can just do stuff. <laughs> it might be weird, but you can just do stuff. And he, he was, I mean, his, he looked a little different. I mean, I didn't know, he was like getting in the water with some ducks or something, I don't know. <laughs> but you can just do stuff. Like talk to your neighbor. Like open God's word with a friend. You can just say, we're going to just start there. That's all a fight club is, by the way. Sometimes we talk about those. I know guests, that's a, some language that might seem mysterious to you. But all it is is a couple people getting together and opening God's word and doing it committedly and faithfully week after week. That's what we must do. We read Psalm 1. Sean read it for us to begin our service, and I want to just go back as we close. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the man who doesn't just look at all of the things that the world is doing and engage in all of those things and forgets how big Jesus is and forgets what God is doing in the world. Blessed is that man, but his delight, God's man's delight, is in the law of the Lord. This is what he meditates on day and night. God's word. And guess what happens when we let go of all of those elementary things, begin to progress, begin to focus and direct our attention on God's word faithfully and consistently? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that when it's time will bear fruit. Its leaf won't wither, it won't fade away and die. And all that he does, he prospers. That ain't about money. It's about growing and maturing in faith and fruitfulness of kingdom work. That's what happens. The wicked, those who walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seats of scoffers, they are not so. The wind blows, and the chaff blows them away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We, as God's people, must be growing and maturing and pursuing the Lord through his word, through his people. We must because there is a world of sinners and scoffers and those who think nothing of God. And we don't look down our noses at them in judgment. We recognize that it is our purpose and mission to bring the hope of Jesus to them. And we've got to be able to have those conversations. And so let us commit to growing and maturing as God's people. Let's pray and ask for his help to that end. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that the salvation that you have bestowed upon me, the grace and your mercy in my life, that you didn't just stop there. You aren't done with me. You didn't say, okay, Ryan's good, and so I'm leaving him there. No, you have called me equipped me, 
given me a family of God to live in and amongst so that I can continue to look more and more like you, so I can grow in my understanding of all that you are doing in the world. And I can bring your hope to those who feel hopeless. And Jesus, I thank you that while that's true of my life, it's true for every believer in this room or who can hear the sound of my voice. You have a purpose for us. So I pray that we, while we perhaps feel this weight of conviction of realizing we've been sort of settling for just spiritual milk for too long, let us today as a church family just commit to wherever we are to taking that very next step. Would you help us to do that? As we're about to sing, Jesus, help us to trust you enough, trust your plans for our life enough to be obedient to what you have called us to do. Help us. I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.